Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy place and bless the Lord, and bless the Lord. Amen. Stop. Somebody have a praise report or anything you'd like to share?
Amen. Sweet are his, sweet are the promises. <clears throat> sweet are the promises. Kind is the word. Dearer far than any message man ever heard. Pure was the mind of Christ, sinless I see. He the great example is and pattern for me. Where he leads I'll follow, follow all the way. Where he leads I'll follow, follow Jesus every Sweet is the tender love Jesus has shown, sweeter far than any love that mortals have known. Kind to the erring one, faithful is he. He the great example is and pattern for me. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow all the way. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow Jesus every day. List to his loving words, come unto me. Weary, heavy laden, there is sweet rest for thee. Trust in his promises, faithful and sure. Lean upon the Savior and thy soul is secure. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow all the way. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow Jesus every day. Amen. do one more course. Um, I will bless the Lord at all times. Um, this is taken from Psalm 34, 1 to 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Y'all know that one? <clears throat> I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I saw the Lord, and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. Maybe not as familiar, maybe a different tune, I don't know. So, why don't we sing it again? 
I will bless the Lord at all time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thee and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Does anyone have any other prayer requests, praise reports? Spend a little bit of time in praying and sharing if you'd like. Anybody? We have our uh, youth retreat coming up. Uh, I'm losing track of time. That's in two weeks or a week and a half it starts. So uh, let's keep that in mind. Keep keep that in your prayers. We'll have a number of uh, young people coming in from various places over the U.S. I think right now it looks maybe like 25, something like that, 30. I'm not sure where we're going to end up at. And uh, a few families coming in, a couple speakers coming in from various places. And uh, I believe it's going to be a good time of fellowship and uh, seeking the Lord so if we want if we'd uh, if we could pray for the young people coming in for the speakers and for us as a church that God would minister to us as well as using us to minister to these young people and uh, and just again as a reminder for announcement uh, that starts on Wednesday evening what is that the 11th and uh, the entire church community is welcome to come to that. It's going to be kind of a welcome and barbecue for the young people that are coming in. So uh, you're, you're welcome to be a part of that. And then also Saturday evening and Sunday morning are open meetings uh, to the public and the community. And Brother Roy Daniel from South Africa will be uh, ministering the word to us at those times as well. So let's uh, keep that in our prayers over the next uh, week and a half, two weeks. Father, I thank you for this uh, time here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have put each one of us and us as a church, us as a community here for a purpose. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful to the calling that you have given each one of us and, and as a church. And I thank you for this opportunity to minister to young people coming in from various places. Father, you know each one who will be here. I pray that you would prepare their hearts and their minds to receive the truth of your word and to be able to be ministered to in this in a time of fellowship pray that it would be an enriching and enlightening time for each one. I pray that you'd minister to us 
as a church as well, and, and through that, allow us to minister to each one that will be here. And I just want to thank you for the, this opportunity and pray that you would prepare all of our hearts for this time. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. testimony, what God's been doing in your life this week. I hear that Stephen? Phil, do you want to lead us in prayer?
also to I went to the veterans uh, resource and uh, they took me up before nights nights last night. Um, and hopefully this other works out, but I'm not gonna hold my breath, it's gonna take the miracle. Because housing really is horrible. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, and I see more and more each month, week, month, people with families, people with disabilities. Father, we come to you praying that in these needs in our brother Steve's life, that you would, we know that you already see them, and I pray that, Father, in, in your way, in your time, that you would provide a way and that you would provide for these needs. And I thank you for my brother, and I commit him, his needs to you. I thank you for his testimony and for his ministry to the other needy people that he comes in contact with in this community. And I pray that you would pour out your blessing upon him and give him peace. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard a little bit of a of a praise report, or maybe a lot of a praise report from Papa and Mama here. We've been praying for Sarah, and it seems that there's uh, she's steadily uh, regaining her strength correct and we're we're thankful for that and 
want to continue to pray and and uh, lift you up and, and and thank the Lord for for what He's doing and uh, what He will continue to do. I'm sure. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for John and Sarah and their faithfulness to you, their families, their church. I thank you that you hear and answer prayer, and I thank you for the healing that you have brought to to Sarah and her life and and that her strength is slowly coming back. We thank you and praise you for that because we know that's an answer to prayer. I pray, Father, that you would continue to touch her and, and heal her, give her strength, give her wisdom to deal with whatever continued weakness that, that she does have, and that too would be uh, restored to full strength. And we thank you that you will do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone else? All right, well, we're going to have a story for the kids. We have a few kids here this morning. We are missing some as well, but uh, Mel is going to have a story for you. I'm not sure if you can convince her to sing for you, but she'll have a story for you. <laughs> so uh, the kids that want to, why don't you come sit up here on the edge here, and I'll, I'll pull up a chair here for you, Lel, and you can read them a story. And uh, then after that, I will... Uh, if we have a little bit of time yet, I may lead you in a few more songs or uh, something like that before we have uh, our sermon. Oh, yes, you wanted the globe. I'm sorry. Is, is this on lock back here, Phil? Do you, want, do you want to grab the globe back there? Thank you. Are you okay with holding the microphone or do you want to stand? Okay, well, last time you got to look at the globe, and today, I think some of you know maybe that I was a missionary in France. Okay, yeah. Do you know where France is on the globe? Here's America. And here's Europe. And France is in Europe. France is right here. It's purple. Yep. And France is close to Africa, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And in Africa, there are many countries who were part of France in the past. They were called colonies. And that means that France conquered them and they ruled in those colonies. That's Russia big, isn't it? Okay, so in, in Africa, you have different countries like Algeria. My mom went to Africa. She did? Oh, okay. Well, it's a little far from Canada. <laughs> Here's Canada. Here's Africa. That's right. So you have Algeria, you have Morocco, you have the Ivory Coast, you have Niger, you have Chad. So all those countries, the people speak French. 
French is the language of France. So a lot of these people from Africa have gone to France. And those, a lot of those people are Muslims. Have you ever heard the word Muslim before? No? Well, there are people that follow another religion that's called Islam. And so we know that some of the Muslims can be very mean, and they can want to do harmful things to people and harmful things to Christians. But, you know, many, many Muslims really love God, and they want to follow him, and they want to do the right thing. But what's sad is they don't know the truth about Jesus and about God. And so they call Jesus Esau. Esau is what they call Jesus. And they think Jesus was a good prophet, that he did miracles. But they don't believe, um, well, you tell me, you tell me they don't believe the truth about Jesus. What do you know about Jesus? What did Jesus do? That's right. You're right. And so what's the result of that when we believe in Jesus? What do we know when we believe in Jesus? Because he died for our sins. He loves us. And we also know that we can go to heaven and be with him, don't we? Yeah, if we believe. Well, for the Muslims... They don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. They think that he was on the cross, and before he died, God took him off the cross and then put a substitute up there on the cross for him. So what do you think that means? That means that the Muslim people don't know if they're going to go to heaven or not. So they try to serve God, and they try to do good things, but they can never have the assurance that they're going to be with God when they die. They don't know. Yeah. Oh, I know. And we want to pray for people, don't we, that they can come to know Jesus and believe in him. And, you know, one time I talked to a Muslim girl, and she said, I said, well, what's going to happen when you die? Because I was telling her if she believed in Jesus, she could know her sins were forgiven. And she said, well, I'm going to walk on a thin rope, and if I've done too many bad things, I'll fall on one side, and I'll be separated from God. And if I do enough good things, I'll fall on the other side. Yes, yeah. Okay, let's put the globe away for a minute now that we're done with that. So this girl said, I can never know if I'm going to be with God or not. And many Muslims don't have the assurance that they will be with God when they die because they don't know the truth about him, about Jesus and the last thing is that a lot of times they believe that God is holy, that he's perfect, that he's way above us. But they don't understand that he's like a father to us and that he loves us, like you said. God loves us. So the little story I wanted to tell you is one time I was in France and there was a team of Americans coming and we were going to go talk to Muslim people and share with them about Jesus, about God and who he is. So one of the things we did was we would go to parks and we would just talk to people and talk to Muslim people and talk to, because they like to talk about God. They really do. <laughs> so I, we were walking around. I looked over and I saw this little boy. He was probably about your age, about your age. Okay, I was going to say six or seven. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> and he was crying. So I just went over and I said, well, why are you crying? 
And he said, well, someone came and took my bike and they rode away and, I, and they didn't bring my bike back and I don't know where it is. So I said, without even thinking, I said, well, you know, God is like a father to us and he loves us. Should we pray to him and ask him to bring your bike back? And the little boy said, yes. And so I started praying and to tell you the truth, I was kind of scared because I thought, I thought, oh boy, sometimes, I mean, I know God is there. I know he can bring the bike back, but sometimes God doesn't always answer the way we want right away. And so I thought, oh my goodness, why did I say that? Because I thought if the, <clears throat> if the bike doesn't come back, the little boy might not know that God loves him. So I started praying out loud. I bowed my head and I was praying. I said, Lord... You're like a father to us, and you see that this little boy is crying, and could you bring his bike back? But inside, I'm kind of thinking, oh, Lord, <laughs> please. I, I didn't have a whole lot of faith, and I was having some doubts. So I said, Lord, please, in my mind, I was, as I was praying, I was thinking, Lord, please honor your name. Please honor your reputation. Show this little boy that you love him. And I said, I don't have a whole lot of faith, but I know you can do that. And please, it's so important that this little boy knows that you can love him like a father. So I finished praying, and I said, oh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And I raised my head, and the little boy turned around. He said, there's my bike. And the, and the bike was coming up over the hill, and there was another little boy on it, and the boy went running to get his bike. And I just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you answered that prayer. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know what happened to that little boy. Today, he would probably be in his 20s, kind of about Abe's age, I think. So I was, it was without training wheels. But so I was going to ask you guys, I don't know, would there be one of you who would want to pray for this boy today? I don't know if he knows Jesus, but I think maybe he'll remember that time in the past when someone told him that God loved him and prayed for him and he saw an answer. Or maybe some other Christians will talk to him. Maybe they have, but I don't know if he knows Jesus today. I don't know if one of you might want to pray for him. Just, do you want to? Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for this good day. Just thank you that the boy, the little boy, will remember. And just thank you that he won't go on the bike anymore so he can leave it at home. And no one else will steal him. Lord, for allowing this boy to know the truth if he doesn't know it yet. Bring him to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much for praying. Thank you, guys. about when my song went 
my thoughts went to this song and uh, you speaking of uh, not being not having assurance of a salvation and you know really obviously the the only uh, the only religion if you will for lack of a better term where you have the assurance that uh, Know where you're going when you die. You have that assurance of a relationship. Is the Christian's assurance of salvation in in Christ Jesus. Um, All others is based on some form of works, some form of hoping. And some of us even grew up with that within so-called Christian religions. Papa and Mama growing up in the Amish church it was very much that way. With you, you hope that you you hope that you have salvation. You hope that at the end that that it'll balance out. My thoughts went to the song number three hundred and forty-one in your in your green books here. The Zion's praises redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. We can know it. We can proclaim it. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever I am. I know I shall see in his beauty The king in whose law I delight Who lovingly guardeth my footsteps And giveth me songs in the night Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, 
His child and forever I am. Amen. Um, just a few announcements before we have our uh, time in the Word. Um, all of a sudden my mind went blank. What was I going to say? Can anyone read my mind? <laughs> oh, uh, this Friday night was, this coming Friday night was normally our family game night. That has actually been uh, canceled until September. There is a, a scheduling conflict this uh, Friday night, and we also will be getting together then the following Wednesday with the young people coming in. So uh, that's that's been canceled until uh, next month. So uh, this coming weekend, we have a, uh, a team coming uh, – for those of you that were here, if you remember the Dave Miller family when they were here ministering to us in song, and, uh, their oldest son, Eugene, and uh, another one of his friends uh, have a team that, that goes around to uh, different churches and, and ministers to them, helps them a lot on, on their tech side of things and on their sound and, and uh, online broadcasts and different things like that. And and then along with that, they uh, incorporate, you know, a lot of uh, teaching on, on uh, worship and, and praise and, and uh, having that be a uh, joint experience for the congregation, for the worship team, who's obviously not up here this morning, um, and, and that kind of thing. So they're going to be with us next weekend. They'll be meeting with our, our worship team and our tech team Friday night and Saturday, and then they'll also be here uh, Sunday morning, and, and we'll be uh, sharing with the congregation a little bit more on, on the idea of, of worship and, and the congregational experience of that, not just you know, the praise team or the tech team. So that's happening this next weekend, so that's, that's a little bit what you, you can expect next Sunday morning if you're here. So uh, keep that in mind as well. Um, as usual, we have our meal after the service, so uh, everybody, visitors, everybody, please do stay and uh, enjoy that time of fellowship with us. There is coffee and tea and water in the back, in, in the foyer. Uh, please feel free to make use of that. I'm going to give you about a five-minute break here. You can go back and, and grab some of that if you'd like. And uh, after that, uh, Phil will bring everybody together and uh, we'll have our time in the Word. So uh, take about a five-minute break if you'd like. You told us, you invited us to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth workers into the harvest because the fields are ripe and ready to harvest. And Lord Jesus, you know how close we are to your return and how ripe men's and women and children's hearts are for the gospel. You know that great need as you look upon the earth today, this morning. And I thank you for calling your people out into your harvest field. And I pray you would equip this dear family and bless them and encourage them again today, wherever they are, Lord Jesus, fill their hearts with faith and strengthen that faith as they walk with you, Lord, through this season. 
in their life and into the unknown future, just like the rest of us. Oh, Father, I pray, inspire your people to go and enter into the labor of souls, the labor of the gospel, the labor of love of Jesus Christ that compels us to share this good news. We just lift them up before you and pray that you would, as the way maker, make a way for them and continue to watch over them and protect them from the evil one and fortify their hearts and, Lord, their lives as they go into your work. In Jesus' name, amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 14. I've been going through the book of Romans lately and been deeply affected by this book again in a couple of ways. The first way is I've been impressed by the message of the gospel. And as the Lord has put that, is doing the work of the gospel in my heart, you know what the gospel is? The good news that you're saved. That's the gospel. The good news that there is a great salvation that Jesus accomplished for me to deliver me from the kingdom of darkness and transfer me into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1. That great work he has accomplished and now he is daily at the throne of his father making intercession to accomplish that work in you and me until he calls us home. And as Paul told the church in Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm persuaded of this, that he who began a good work will accomplish it, will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to show you that word because it might encourage you today. It's actually Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you confident of that? Is your confidence strong in his love for you that he will do it in you? Not you, not me. We allow, we surrender and allow him to do that work in us. Now, if you're feeling lukewarm this morning and you've kind of staled out, stalled out in your Christian life, lost a bit of that purpose, I want to encourage you this morning, Jesus has not lost that purpose for us. Jesus, his love towards you and I this morning at this very moment as you're sitting here and as I'm sharing this word with you, has not lost his purposeful love in our lives. And he's confident that he's going to do his part. Will you allow him to finish 
and perfect the work he started in your life? Romans chapter 14. The key verse of this whole chapter, perhaps maybe even of this book, I believe is found right here. And I'll share it with you why. But before I share that with you, I want to share with you, you know, have you ever eaten a sandwich? Anybody ever eaten a sandwich? Have you ever tried to eat the ingredients of the sandwich without the bread? Just, just one at a time, you know. How do you like your burger? Don't you like it with a piece of bread, maybe some mayo or butter? And you put your burger on there. Those of you who are ketchup lovers, you'll put a pile of ketchup in there. Maybe a little cheese, onions, tomato, lettuce. Now it's starting to sound pretty delicious, right? How about you try to eat each one of those ingredients just by themselves? Anybody volunteer for the onion? Anybody? You like onions? Very good. Just give her an onion for lunch. She'll be satisfied. <laughs> Very good. Onions. How about a tomato? Just take a tomato and just eat the tomato for lunch. Or a piece of cheese. Or just, just the bread. How about only the mayo? Lucas? Not for the mayo? Yeah, I know. You'll do that. That's what we call a cheeseburger. And kids love it, right? This is how God... If you think that people are good chefs and know how to put ingredients together to make individual things come together and taste delicious. Well, guess who created that idea? It wasn't us that came up with that idea. Not a person in this world. Now, I don't know who the first person is that invented the sandwich. That might be a good, interesting research. But I'll tell you who the first person is who invented the sandwich. Do you believe that? You see, a lot of us, as God's children, are picky eaters. We're very picky when it comes to taking God's spiritual food and Him serving it to us. We like it only in certain ways, and so we choose individual verses that just taste right for today. You know, maybe yesterday you were hungry for a burger. Today, not so much. Maybe today you're hungry for Chinese food, so we go for Chinese. Or maybe you're hungry for Thai. Or You know, we live in a smorgasbord of food. We live in the dangerous world that God warned Israel was the reason he destroyed Sodom. You know why he destroyed Sodom? Why do you think he destroyed Sodom and Lot? What sin? Okay. Yes. Yes. Ezekiel, it's found, right? Let me, let me Google that verse because this is important in what I'm going to share with you. The 
even comes up. Mm, it's not coming up. I think it's in. Someone help me find that. Let's all do a little Bible study here together. And if you find the verse, please let me know. I think it's in Ezekiel. But it is. Ezekiel chapter 16. Let's be a little Bible students here tonight, this morning. He says this to Israel. Verse 46. Now your older sister is Samaria. He's speaking to Judah. Who lives north of you. Samaria lived to the north of Jerusalem with her daughters. And your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, would you like to be related to Sodom? God, looking at your life and saying, Sodom is your sister. No, no, not me, Lord. I'm related to Abraham. I made intercession for Sodom, right? Are you? Are you living like Abraham? Are you living like the Sodomites? Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom and her daughters. She had arrogance. I don't know what that word means. You ever felt arrogant? Pride? Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here, but I'm not like these people who live... Have you ever driven through an area in town or in the city or walked through an area... And you're afraid for your safety and you start saying, oh Lord, I thank you that I don't live here. Arrogance. She had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. But she did not help the poor and needy. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Now, in the Christian, modern Christian world, we like to think of Sodom and Gomorrah as the, the epic center of evil, right? And oh, we're quick to identify it into our culture. That's sodomy, that's, you know, the whole gay, lesbian experience where men with men, women with women, as the, Paul says in Romans 1, they do indecent acts. God didn't create us to have those kind of relationships. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. While I sit in my house, my refrigerator is packed out with so much food, and my cupboards are full, and I'm glushti. You know what that word means? Those of you who know German, David's shaking his head. Those of you who know who the German dialect we call Pennsylvania Dutch, it's a word that means I'm kind of hungry, but not really. And so being glushti is a dangerous place. Have you ever considered that in your life? It's a dangerous place to be. What will you do when you're glushed? Your refrigerator is full. Your cupboards are full of food. But I'm hungry for, let's say, Thai. I'm 
where's the, where's the closest Thai restaurant? Maybe I'll go to a Thai restaurant. So we go to the Thai restaurant. I'm not really hungry, but I'm thirsty. And as we look over the menu, I'm starting to get hungrier. My mouth's starting to water for the flavor, Thai flavor. And out comes the food. I finally settle in on one. Woo, that plate's way bigger than I figured. But hey, I can't waste good food, right? And so we begin to eat. A dangerous place for the Holy Spirit to guide you and me is when we're clushed. Don't discount it in your life. Satan will rob you blind at that moment of God's spiritual food and the Holy Spirit's direction and His power in your life when you're glushti. And if you're not careful, you'll be carelessly at ease with abundant food. And you'll walk out and say, oh man, I ate too much, I'm sleepy. Oh, well, now for a good nap. Who cares? Satan will come and tempt you at that moment with sin, with arrogance, with pride, with the lust of the flesh, with all kinds of things, because he knows I got him right where I had Sodom. This is my moment to attack and destroy the Holy Spirit's work in their life. Have you ever experienced that? Guilty. All ten fingers. Guilty. I know what I'm talking about. And you do too. This is God's warning to us. This was Sodom's sin. Oh, there's... What? This guy's crazy. He's radical. That's crazy. Everybody lives like that. Right? We live in a world of abundance of food, abundance of arrogance, and abundance of careless ease. Spiritually. Your spirit has disengaged from the work of Christ and His purpose for your life, His work He wants you to do that day, disengaged. Careless ease. Who cares if they're dying and going to go to hell today? They made wrong choices in life. Not my problem. Romans, I'm still talking about food. God puts together an amazing sandwich, diet of spiritual food for us that becomes, that does this, what he promised he will do in Romans chapter 1. Now many walk through the book of Romans and some men have put together amazing theology which they call the Romans road and And you can read that and you can hear it preached and they'll tell you step by step of how to get saved and continue to to be saved. And that's not what I want to point out to you, though that's good theology. The whole gospel is presented in the book of Romans. 
I was talking to a young man that I met. We met on the way to California here a few months ago. And I was, we had stayed at a hotel and then we were walking through the lobby and, and eating some breakfast at the cafeteria there. And I seen a young man sitting there reading his Bible. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. This is like 20-year-old or 19-year-old. He looked somewhere like, not like Abe or Judd or some of you guys. And so I walked over to him and I said, what are you reading? And he shared with me what he was reading. He began to share his testimony with me. And, I, and we began to, to share together and pray together. And we exchanged phone numbers and have stayed in touch. And he was wrestling this last week with knowing for sure that Christ's work is real. And his girlfriend was telling him and some other things. And I said, Dear brother, go to the book of Romans. Read the book of Romans. You know what he was really wrestling with? The question was, how can a good God, a kind, loving God, send people to hell? That can't truly be possible. A God who says, I am love. God is love, First John 1. How can a person who is love send people to hell? Let me ask you this question. How can a father who loves his children discipline them strictly when they disobey? That's not love, is it? The child isn't going to feel like that's very loving when... Ow! They don't say, oh, thank you, Daddy, for loving me. That's so sweet of you. Thank you. What child does that? Huh? But God says in Proverbs, a father who does not diligently discipline his child hates him. He hates him. I, I remind the boys when they were younger about that verse all the time, right? If I don't discipline you, God says, I hate you. I don't want to hurt you. But I must, as a loving dad, deal with the sin that's in your heart. And this is how God says, I must deal with it. As they grow older, there are different forms of discipline that the Lord still uses with all of us because he's a good dad and he loves the soul. And there's one way to deliver the soul from sin. That's through discipline. Loving, caring discipline. But the book of Romans, the gospel is sandwiched in these words. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. That's you and me. For his name's sake. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. That's how he begins. Through the obedience of in Romans chapter 16, the end of the chapter, I want to show you this word. This is what the gospel does for you and I. He says this. I need to find the exact verse.
He speaks also of the obedience of faith. It's actually in chapter 15, verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. That's what it is. That's the sandwich. So when the Lord gives you a good, delicious verse, will you eat just that ingredient? Or will you sandwich it in your life by obedience? You know, when you take that word and you begin to obey, you begin to experience the energy, the spiritual energy that a good burger brings you, that a delicious Food brings us. When we're weak and we're tired, spiritually, God knows how to put together His Word and feed His children. But so often, we just want something sweet, right? Just give me that candy bar. Just a sugar high. That's all I need right now. Just something to give me that short burst of energy is all I'm looking for, Lord. But God wants us to live healthy Christian lives, lest we become like Sodom and Gomorrah. There, that's my introduction to Romans chapter 14, verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Wait, what? Is the kingdom of God eating and drinking to you? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Do you live there in that atmosphere of righteousness? Christ declaring us righteous. Romans chapter 5. You have been justified by faith. He declares you righteous today. That brings you peace. How are you at peace today? What brings you joy today? Does his declaration of your, his righteousness in your life and your obedience to that bring you into peace and joy? Are you totally missing this? Dear brother, sister, we live in a world that is missing this. They live in another kingdom. Though many profess, I'm a child of God. Because of a lack of the obedience of faith, we live like our sister, Sodom and Gomorrah. Arrogance, abundance of food, and careless ease. Care less about the souls around us. Or even my soul. And there are many things that the devil will whisper in your ear and say, that doesn't really matter. Who cares? Who cares? How does that minister God's grace in your heart? When you're feeling discouraged, isn't that what we say? Oh, well, who cares anyway? And that's how the devil can trip us up. Look at verse 18. For he who in this way serves Christ, Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He who serves 
Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men if you serve Christ this way. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I was sharing the last few weeks how we are to construct faith in each other's hearts. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, fathers and mothers to your children. We have a job to do. And construction workers don't get discouraged when they show up and there's only a foundation there. They're encouraged that morning because they're going to take and build something out of where there was nothing. Are you that kind of a construction worker? Is that your attitude when you, with your child that you're trying to instruct in faith and encourage them to believe? But there's no faith. There's nothing. Many parents are. Many of God's children look at because they don't have the attitude that I am here to actually construct faith in your heart. To when I see a weakness of faith, it's my job to encourage it and to build it up. To put together this word, some two by fours, some plywood, some these verses and put them together and encourage you and construct faith where there is no faith. If that's our attitude, dear brother, sister, you will not be discouraged with the lack of faith around you. You'll be encouraged that you've got a job to do. And you'll get right to work. Now, as a construction worker, it's a lot more demoralizing and discouraging, those of us guys who are in construction, to go into an old building and begin to first tear out before you have to build up. Tearing down gets old. Tearing out old stuff gets old, right? About a year ago, less than a year ago, we started doing that with this house down here. And I remember the first day, Anthony put together a whole team of you guys, and you came down here, and I mean, things were happening so fast I couldn't keep track of it, you know? There were people in the bedroom tearing out the carpet. There were people tearing down the ceiling. There were people tearing out walls. There were people just... And next thing we know, the big dumpster load of stuff. And I was looking at a house at the end of the day. It was gutted out. And there was like, wow, we got a lot done. This is great. This is going to go fast. And the next week came. And there was still a lot of work to do. I remember telling the boys, all right, let's go over there tonight. Let's start working and tearing out the old bathtub. It was an old green 70s, you know, bathtub in there and the old green tile, and we started getting a chisel and a hammer, and these little tiles were laid in there and just chiseling one after another. I mean, Michael and I, I think, worked for two or three hours that night, and we didn't get near all that tile out of that bathroom. Boy, I was like, this is going to take a lot longer than I figured. Sometimes the Lord needs to deconstruct things in our life. Tear down attitudes, tear down relationships, tear down mindsets about him before he builds new. Don't be discouraged about that either. And we who are construction workers building up faith don't always start with a clean slate. Yes, when people come to Jesus Christ, Christ makes all things new and he is the foundation 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, there is no other foundation that is laid than that which is laid Jesus Christ. He becomes the foundation. But then there's sometimes we experience what the Jews did in Jerusalem. When they came back from Babylon to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, there was a lot of the old rubble still laying around. And at first you'll read in Nehemiah how the people had a mind to work and they set into it and they got encouraged. But after a while they got tired and discouraged because of all the rubble around them. It's hard to work when there's a lot of rubble around you. And you don't see the the progression so quickly. The new walls don't go up so quickly because you're carrying out the old stuff. Sometimes the Lord needs to use you and I for that. And he encourages us with the long goal of what we're here to do. Nehemiah, the whole story of rebuilding Jerusalem is a synonym of building the church, constructing faith in people's hearts. Building a home, constructing faith in children's hearts where there's a whole bunch of rubble of foolishness, right? And you take it and you take away the foolishness and you construct faith by putting together the word of God, consistently, faithfully ministering his word where there is no faith. Oh, I want to encourage you with that. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It begins, I see three things here that I just want to share with you yet before I end this encouraging word to you. It begins with our attitude. Boy, that makes a huge difference. Have have you parents ever told your children the problem that you're struggling with is not the real problem. It's your attitude that's the problem. Well, God tells us as his children that all the time. And so, if indeed the kingdom of God is not these physical things, eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost, it starts with our attitude. I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2. That's where it started for Jesus. And show you this word that the Holy Spirit has shared with us. If therefore, verse 1, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, starts with your attitude. You'll never encourage anyone with good words alone. You'll never encourage anyone with good works alone. Have you ever worked for a guy? Or maybe maybe as husbands and wives, you woke up one morning and someone in the house is in a bad mood. They just woke up, as we say, on the wrong side of the bed. They have a really bad attitude. Hey, Nobody did anything yet. Nobody even said anything yet. They walk out in the kitchen and it's just like, Good morning. Pour you a cup of coffee or go to the fridge to eat. How does that make you feel? They don't say a word. They don't, haven't done anything to you. But 
attitude affects you greatly. Changes the whole, whole thing in the house. There's like a cloud that comes around. I remember one day, as an employer, one of my employees said to me, man, when you walk in this office, you bring a cloud with you. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, I know you got a lot on your mind, but man, it just, you change the atmosphere when you walk into this office. And I, the Lord showed me through that kind, loving word, this must change. I was stressed out at all kinds of things. And I'd walk into my office with that stress in my heart. It was my attitude. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if love consoles or comforts you, if there is any good fellowship in the spirit of Christ, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose in this attitude. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself in your attitude. Not merely look out, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And here's the key verse. Have this attitude in yourself. Carry this attitude in your heart. What attitude? Which was also in Christ. That attitude. See, we're like sponges. And we soak up. And when you were squeezed, water comes out of the sponge, right? Whatever the sponge soaked up, when you squeeze it, comes out of you, that sponge. When people squeeze you, what attitude comes out of you? It's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. Speaks. It's that which is in the heart that God is concerned about in Mark chapter 7. Scribes and Pharisees were concerned about all the other things, whether you washed your hands or whether you did all these certain rituals. He said, it's what's in the heart that God is looking at. God is looking this morning at your attitude. You might be thinking, it's what I haven't eaten. You know, I fast, I pray. Maybe you're like the the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, where he comes to the temple and he's saying, Oh Lord, I fast twice a week. Yeah? Have you propped yourself up with that one? Lord, I only eat, you know, salads. For a whole week, I'm, I'm going to get God's attention by fasting and prayer. Lord, I, I want you to revive me. I want you to do something with my boy or my wife or my husband or to do something with my co-workers, so I'm going to start fasting and praying, eating and drinking in only a certain way to please you, to get your attention, so you do something. You ever been there? Trying to please God through eating and drinking, or not eating and not drinking. But the attitude, oh boy, don't touch my attitude. Don't you tell me how to have an attitude, God. Oh no, my attitude is my right. 
withdrawal. Look at these people. Look how messed up they are around me. Look how messed up this world is around me. And I want you to see in Romans 14, he begins by talking about, he says, accept one another and not for the purpose of judging one another. So this verse is sandwiched into the whole warning of us, do not judge each other. It's kind of like the example of Mary and Martha. And I use that often because in, in, it, to me, it, it just expresses the two hearts that I can have. One is, I'm stressed out with my responsibility and I'm bothered that others are not taking it seriously about all of everybody else around me. And the other one is quiet and sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. And Jesus said, Mary chose the one necessary good part of life. And Martha was missing it, busy serving in the kitchen. She wasn't out getting drunk. She was serving Jesus in the kitchen. But her attitude is what Jesus was looking at. Oh, dear brother, sister, if you don't take this seriously, let this attitude, which was in Jesus Christ, be in you. We can waste our life away serving Christ. You'll waste your life away serving Christ. Martha, in the kitchen, was having no spiritual effect on those around her. Oh, she was going to prepare a wonderful good meal. But that was going to be so temporary and be gone. But what Mary chose encourages you and me today yet. Right? Thousands of years later, her obedience affects us, inspires us, and encourages us. The attitude of our conduct is powerful. And the attitude that Jesus had was an attitude of humility. That's what he said. Look what he says. Who although, verse 6, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Did he serve? How many of you think Christ served? Yes. He was a bondservant. You know what a bondservant was? Can someone tell me what the difference between a slave and a bond slave? Anyone? Lel? It was a free choice servant. You see, many were slaves, and still are today, without choice. Because some strong army came in and conquered your land, as if the Chinese would come in here, perhaps, and they would take over America, and they would tell all of us, you're going to work for us, the communist regime. And we're going to tell you where to go and what to do every day. We're not giving you a choice. And if you don't, we'll shoot you. Or we'll imprison you. Well, that's not a bondservant. 
Is that how Jesus came down? You think the father told Jesus, all right, son, I'm giving you one choice, else I'll turn you into the devil and kick you out of heaven. And Jesus was compelled. I don't want to be turned into the devil. I've seen what happened to him. I was, okay, Father, okay, 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 I'll go, I'll go. Now you know, though, Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And so Jesus surrendered his right of his will become the bondservant to all humanity for his father's sake. Have you done that? The attitude that was in Christ Jesus was one of surrender. Surrendered humility. And if humility is not surrendered to the will of God, it immediately, very quickly, deep down in the attitude, becomes pride. Have you ever been proud that you're humble? Aha. <laughs> it is an oxymoron. Oh, can we relate to that? Right now, I'm really taking the low road. I hope someone notices. God, are you watching? There's the attitude, you know. I could strike them back. I could say something back to them. Railing for railing. Accusation for accusation. But oh no, 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 no. God says not to, so I'm going to do the right thing. and Just take the road. Be quiet. Oh yeah. My spirit I'm doing. Patting myself on the back. Doing pretty good, ain't I, God? Your humility and the attitude is pride. The only way that we can walk with humility, with Jesus in humility, is to do it the way he did. Surrender our will. The will, our way, my right surrender. I have no rights anymore. Jesus had the right to be equal with God, but he says, I won't grasp it. I'll give it up and become a man. And look what he did. Look how, how much he emptied himself. He became a bondservant, a volunteer slave. Is what a bondservant is. I wonder if heaven looking upon our lives this morning and God is saying, hey, Satan, I mean, I want to show you something. Here at 809 West 30th Avenue sit some of my children. They're listening to my word. You see all those volunteer slaves that I have down there? You think he would point us out and describe us as such to Satan like he did with Job? You see my righteous servant Job? Now, Satan said to God, well, yeah, of course, but it's what you've done in their life. You protect Job. But today, God could say back to Satan, no, I haven't forced even one of them to love me or serve me. They're volunteers, Satan. They're voluntarily laying down their will for mine. 
And being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Will you go that far? Steve and I were talking about last Sunday on the way out here to the home where he ministers. What a living sacrifice is. How people sacrifice in so many ways. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you can offer your body to be burned and not loved. And if you do that, everyone around you will think you love them. But you won't. You'll be proud you did it. You'll die with an attitude of pride. I am giving my body You won't love these people. You won't be the volunteer slave of love to them. But your will is to die a martyr. And you're proud about it. Quite right, proud about that. That's the epic of Christianity, to die a martyr. No, it's not. The epic, the heart of Christianity is to die on a cross in your heart. Your will dies on a cross every day. That's what you call discipleship. And in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us about that. That kind of discipleship for you and I to live as Christ did to have the attitude that he had. Surrendered humility is this. Verse 24, Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, shall find it. He's using life in general. But you know what I found the Lord does with me? He uses my, he divides up my life into very practical ways. Like, will you lose your will for his sake? That means... When you really want something and you have a purpose for your life and you're sure God wants you to do this, are you willing to surrender it? Now, I'm not saying that once you've already lost it, uh, once we lose it, then it, okay, we lost it. There's a sense of giving up. I'm saying before we lost it, when we have the right to have it, we surrender. What rights do you have? Rich out of God. You have the right for your will, the right for your opinion, the right for your own agendas? Or have you taken those rights and nailed them, allowed the Holy Spirit to nail them on a cross every day? How about the right of your time? Does God have the right to take your time from you and let other people take it all away? Does God have the right to... Your job, 
Does God have the right in your life to everything you own, your house, your car? Then when it disappears, no problem. I died to that today. I hung it on the cross. It's not mine. It's God's. It's easy for us to say. But the real, true, key test is my attitude when it goes away. Because God takes us up at our word. He is intent on this one thing, to perfect that which he started in our hearts. And the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And when you and I enter into that, His righteousness for me today. His joy and His peace in my heart, ruling in my life today. I come to Him with that surrendered will of humility as a bond slave. Free will, offering. We will offer it. When you read throughout the scriptures, that's what pleased the Lord. The free will offering of God's people. And that's why he still says, this is acceptable unto God. This is well-pleasing to God. But oh, it's unless I find, unless I've surrendered that will, my free will offering, my free will slave or service creates an attitude. I hope somebody sees me. I hope somebody praises me. I hope, Lord, you at least are praising me. Somebody's recognizing it and will reward me. But when my I lose that right, I give it up. I say, Lord, I'm simply here to do your will, O God. And in the struggle of the cross, you and I may find ourselves like Jesus. Lord, is there any other way? And our Father says, except to take the cross. And then he says, you're going to die as a criminal. Men are not going to praise you. They're going to speak evil of you. And your cross that you're going to die on, while you are obeying me, people will say, you're disobeying me. How can he be a Christian? How can she be a Christian and do that? Jesus was not proclaimed Savior as he hung on the cross. He died as a 